Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? I'm really good. Really good. Had a, um, I don't know why, but I was wanting to text you last night and just make fun of you because your Chiefs were losing. Whatever. The Chiefs. <laughs> Not that I was rooting against the Chiefs, but <laughs> I didn't have, a, didn't have a side to pick, frankly. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was a boring game, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, being a Missouri man, I was pulling for the Chiefs, obviously, um, but... I don't, I don't know. I don't put too much stake in football. I'm not like a diehard fan. More than anything, I had high hopes simply because I thought it would be a fantastic matchup and a really good game, and it was uh, not that <laughs> by any means. It was just like if you're just like a pure, I would say, football fan, but if you're not a football fan, you're like a casual, like, of course I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. You just want to see a good game, right? And it just wasn't, yeah. uh, from a viewer standpoint, a, a very entertaining or good game, despite who you were pulling for. Yeah, pretty much. So, but yeah, big turd, but oh well, it was fun. <laughs> but there's no doubt that love him or hate him, like Brady's, he's the best for sure. Yeah, that was impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. only concretes that. But uh, yeah, enough of that, man. We're not here to sports. We're not a sports podcast, Steve. <laughs> People can Suck, tune into other things. Fuck some hunting, some gear. Yeah, let's do something. We were uh, just chatting before the podcast, you know, we're, we're kind of prepping for death hike, making plans. I'm looking at gear and training and all that, and I'm stuck without snow, and obviously this is a snowshoe death hike, so it's not a great combination, and I had the idea of like, oh man, ankle weights and step-ups, like that's going to be, that's going to be how I'm going to train for this thing, and you know, add some adding some ankle weights to essentially, you know, simulate not the movement of snowshoes, but essentially, you know, if you think of snowshoeing versus hiking, like your, your legs, your muscles, your hip flexors, they're working in a different way with a different gait and, you know, literally picking up more weight than just what would otherwise be your boot. And, uh, I went all like eighties jazzercise and bought some ankle weights, um, from (laughs) Walmart and I thought it was going to tear me up, Steve, and it didn't. So I'm kind of like so, bummed now i'm like thinking i'm not going to be in shape for the death hike because i thought the ankle weights were going to kill me and make me a man yeah so yeah are you that in shape or just wasn't no. as hard as you expected <laughs> no definitely yeah. not that in shape i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know what the problem is i have been yeah i don't know I, i'm gonna keep going with it. i think it's good training i just thought since it's something you know anytime you do something completely new you just expect to like hurt i mean I, it i did it for yeah like the first time the other day, I 45 pound pack, uh, the ankle weights are four to five pounds a piece. And I was doing step ups for like 45 minutes. Like it's enough where it should have just smoked me. And it, it was difficult to do in the moment. Um, but I just thought the different mechanics of the movement and the added weight would make me super sore and like make me feel like I'm doing something unique and different. It didn't. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll mm. see how the death hike may kill me. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. I, I could, have you played with, um, Oh, stepping on those, those balls that there's like half a ball, right. That's kind of oh, like a balance. Bosu ball or something. Yeah. Is yeah. That that's what that's called. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting to kind of replicate. I mean, when I, it's been a few weeks since I was snowshoeing, but it's like half of it, half of it's just that as you're putting the weight on that snowshoe, the snow's like, breaking underneath you in different directions right like one time it goes left next time it goes right then the next time it doesn't and yeah uh, the next time you your toe goes in you get a bunch of snow on it so you're it's just constantly changing the muscles that you're using every single step yeah Um, so something like that those who yeah to mess with that be the next 
set for you, Trey. So, there, there you go. And then put those, uh, we talked about you putting flippers on and going hiking around flippers, your neighborhood. Hiking around the lake, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, got to do the trick. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe we should do this off air, but I think we can come out with a new product like the backcountry BOSU ball. I think yeah, there's some potential there here, Steve. No, <laughs> it'd be terrible. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I plan on doing the step ups and then just doing a lot of, uh, single leg work you know a lot of unilateral like lunges and single leg squats and yeah mm-hmm. we'll see we'll see what happens but the death hike we got a couple months hopefully we'll get in shape uh yeah we'll see man we'll see how it goes let's tie that into some gear questions that came up okay so number one quilts uh you know we've talked about quilts in the past this guy specifically wrote in to me and said i've seen your gear videos and that you've used the Catabatic Alsec quilt in the past. Um, I'll put a pause on that and just say, if you guys are listening and wondering what the heck gear videos he's talking about, not just for me, but just in general, we do have a section on our website uh, with a bunch of gear lists and gear videos. So if you just go to exomountgear.com, then under resources, you'll see where it says gear lists, and that's where you can find all that. But back to the question. So then he said, uh, have you ever tried the Flex, which is uh, a different line of quilts from Catabatic? And he said, if not, do you have any thoughts on the design of it? Would you find its extra features practical? So the big the big difference here between what he's referring to in terms of the quilt I have, which is part of their, I think they called the Elite line, and then they have a Flex line. There's a few different differences here, but one of the big differences that's kind of worth highlighting is the flex can zip open and become essentially just a laid out flat blanket, whereas the quilt that I have has a sewn foot box. And so you just can't lay it out completely flat. Um, I don't find the need to lay it out as a blanket completely flat, something um, that's really helpful for me. I do use my quilts uh, essentially for everything. It's a 22 degree quilt. If I'm camping and it's only 50 at night, I still take it. It's super easy to vent it, throw a leg out of it, keep it half on you, that type of thing. So I don't find the need for a blanket style. Um, I just don't find that super important. and the, the other thing I would just say there is if guys are wondering about quilts versus sleeping bags specifically, that is something we have covered in depth. Um, I'll pull up the episode number here in a minute while we, we are chatting, Steve, about this um, and tell guys about that. And then the other thing I'd say is just in terms of, you know, it's, I think I've had the Catabatic for three plus years now, something like that. And I would just say I'm still 100% plus happy with it, which is, you know, anytime especially for me, I feel like a lot of times I'm just like prone to like try to look and find something better, newer, improved. And I just like, once I started using this sucker, I just haven't looked for anything else. So I would just say if guys are considering a quilt like that, um, man, it's something I've been incredibly happy with. But Steve, we touched on this before in terms of quilts in general and features and things like that. But any other, any other feedback on kind of that topic? Um, yeah, I mean, my first quilt uh, from Enlightened Equipment was their Revelation. And it was, um, you, yeah, you could zip open the foot box and make it completely flat into a blanket. And I was like, oh, that's sweet and awesome. And it was just one of those things in actual practice. I just never, ever used it. Like you said, it was even when it was warm at night, um, you just, you know, it's a quilt. So you just fl- flop it open, kick a leg out, uh, and it, you just don't overheat like you would with a mummy bag. Um, 
So I found it unnecessary. And then the next time I ordered a quilt, I ordered the version that didn't have the, you know, I think it's only like half an ounce or an ounce of weight of that zipper down there in the bottom, but it was enough that, um, it's like, yeah, if I'm not using it, I'm not going to pack it. So stopped, uh, stopped ordering them with the, the zipper on the bottom. Yeah. That episode is 130. Um, it's called selecting a sleep system or quilts for warmth and comfort. So we talk about quilts and sleeping bags, kind of the pros and the cons. Um, although we both use quilts, we're not saying they're for anyone and everyone. Some guys don't like them, but we kind of have that whole conversation back in episode 130. Um, Steve, for the death hike or winter camping in general, does anything change uh, for your sleep system and quilt? I know you've talked in the past, like for example, of really the pads just as important in terms of staying warm as the actual quilt or whatever insulation you have. But for guys who may be going out soon or anything you're planning or considering for the upcoming death hike, any thoughts on that for the winter mm, specifically? I mean, I think the, the biggest thing you got to, um, for a sleep system. Yeah. I mean, uh, I do have like a super lightweight. So basically one where I'm, I'm planning on the weather being no colder than 2025. And then I have, a um, I jump up to a different pad and a different quilt uh, that gets me down to zero. You know, so if you're if you're hunting in that weather where it's you know two degrees in the morning and and twenty in the afternoon, then that's a different system for me than than what you know ninety percent of my hunting is where it's you know twenty five is a cold morning and they warm up to fifty sixty degree afternoons. So, um, and then I think the the couple things I'm worried about is just managing sweat. What kind of base layers are you wearing? How are you venting? um and staying as dry as possible but also we're going to be in snow right so you're going to be um you're going to be wet you're going to be having snow kicked up on you the whole time from your snowshoes so kind of i haven't figured out like what type of pants i want to wear um you know it's probably some like i was looking for like cross-country skiing pants you know something that's kind of like a shell uh, yeah like a a super light breathable shell but and then it's probably going to have some um large zip um ventilation sides on it yeah um so i haven't dialed that in yet so i like a a really good breathable long john and then a shell and i think that's probably going to be the best route Mm. um and then you then you really and then the biggest thing would just be having dry clothes or a you know say your shell's soaking wet but you take that off um whenever you stop hiking you know it's it's at night and you're going to stop and set up camp or whatever um you know, I'd be, uh, depending on how wet the shell is, it may be worthwhile to climb into your sleeping bag with that. So it's, you'd kind of dry out everything overnight, but there's going to be a couple hours there where you're going to, you know, imagine having puffy pants or something in the pack that you could slip on just to, to retain your heat. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to go. And another area I was, um, I have, is what you're going to do with your eyes. Uh, like, cause you can't <laughs> elaborate <laughs> uh, sunglasses and, and getting, you know, if it's clear sky and sunny and the, the sun's bouncing off the snow, you yeah. gotta wear sunglasses. But what you know, I've been hiking a lot here um, in the mornings when it's cold, but the trails kind of are muddy in the afternoon, but in the morning, you know, it freezes at night and everything you can go hike. And um, uh, just the, your, my sunglasses just fog up instantly. Um, and so how do you kind of, you got to get sunglasses that don't fog up um, to keep the snow. And then so you can continue to wear them and keep from going snow blind. So I was going to need to like pick some guys brains. I don't know if you got to go full on goggles or what you got to do there, but I, I I know my current system wouldn't work. Just slapping my regular sunglasses on. Mm -hmm. 
glasses with like a little mini fan that like circulates air, <laughs> like head, yeah. headlamp powered. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You got to figure something out. I think it's some type of goggle that doesn't allow air in. I don't know. Yeah. You better so. share all this cool stuff you're finding because I'm still like exactly what you said. I'm like debating on pants and several other things that I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah I plan to kind of let let guys know what I'm figuring out for sure. Yeah, I I'm going to... I'm going to go out this weekend because it's going to turn really cold here. I think uh, the high is like, I think it's like 12 and then the low is 2 or something or negative Mm. 2 is what they're forecasting for next weekend. So I'm going to just go out just for the heck of it. Not, you can't simulate everything, but just for the cold weather perspective, I'm going to go spend a long day hiking and uh, essentially stay out and camp that night just to kind of, yeah, like here's what Larry and I think may work, you know, just in terms of managing cold and, you know, figure some of that out, which is, you know, we talk about doing that all the time and tell guys to do that for, you know, they're going out West for a September elk hunt. It's like, man, this spring or this summer, go out and test your gear. And so I'm going to, from a cold weather perspective, try and go do that this weekend. Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. I cut you off. What were you going to say? Oh, uh, just how important weight is, uh, potentially, uh, just breaking through the snow. I've, I've noticed, um, you know, an increase in 10 pounds in the pack, uh, can make a pretty big difference in how far your snowshoes busting through the snow. And I think it's going to you know play a huge role. So b- body weight and pack weight, like getting as slim as possible, um, and, uh, getting the pack as light as possible. It's going to, uh, I think have a significant impact in the energy expenditure over the, over the hike. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it's not going to be super light though. By the time you count for clothing, layering, no, well, carrying yeah. a rifle, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's not going to be super uh, light. It's at least thirty. I mean, you got a eight pounds of gun and twenty pounds of gear. Um, you're going to be right there. Water. Yeah. So. Hmm. More to come on the death hike. We'll keep uh, thinking out loud on that. Um, yeah, let's go to this one. We had another boot question, Steve. Well, that'll make you happy, oh, right? Sure. All right. So this guy says, I've listened to the podcast many times and many discussions of your opinions on boots. I had been trying to get my hands on a pair of La Sportiva Nucleo High boots that you guys mentioned prior. Any additional feedback or thoughts on those boots here several months later? Then he said he did end up picking up some Oboes Bridger Mids because he couldn't find those La Sportiva Nucleos. Uh, and he was curious if we had any experience with those. His primary concern about them was durability. He did say the comfort and fit for him with the Oboes boots has been great. And he just has, let's see, oh, any recommendations or thoughts between the Las Sportivas and those Oboes boots? So, uh, yeah, I haven't tried the Oboes, Steve. I've heard good things about them. I've seen them. They're, you know, they're at REI and many other places. Um, they look like a pretty comfortable, you know, lightweight hiker boots, those Bridger mids, um, something comparable to, you know, almost a quest type boot, a Solomon quest or like a morel, something like that. Um, but yeah, do you have any experience with the Oboes or any other additional thoughts on those La Sportiva Nucleos? Uh, La Sportiva Nucleo has been, it's a great shoe. Um, I wore it, um, and when I killed my bull archery September, I had those boots on, um, uh, I knew it was going to be wet. It's supposed to rain every day. And, and after using them on Kodiak, um, I knew that the waterproof, like they truly did hold up and kept, kept feet dry. So I wore them on that hunt and had great results. And then, um, 
I haven't worn them since. Uh, they're just sitting on the shelf there in the garage uh, with my other boot collection. <laughs> boot collection. So, uh, but yeah, we for should me, post like, a photo of that at some point, Steve. Your yeah, boots fair, in your garage. Fairly impressive. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, uh, they're for me. They're like um, they're like a B plus just across the board, right? Like they're they're comfortable. Um, they uh, they're waterproof. They're lightweight. Um, they have maybe a touch more flex in them than I would actually prefer. Um, like specifically remember on that hunt, um, packing the bull out. Once we got to the top of the ridge, it was 3000 feet, just like straight down to the truck, uh, and very rocky country. And I just remember like, you know, there's some really sharp kind of rocks and it's like, I had to pay attention to where I was stepping for sure. Um, so I I'd appreciate like a little bit, a uh, little bit more stiffness there, cushion, I guess you could say. But other than that, it's like my feet were happy, and I was, I was really, really happy, really happy with them. So, um, and durability, if I haven't seen any wear issues, I think they'll, you know, they're a good, uh, let's say, a two-year, three-year boot, probably. If you're, you know, depending on how much you're hunting, they're going to last you. Yeah. Um, and then uh, on the Obos, yeah, no, no experience. Looked at the brand. Um, I bought my wife some Obos. Uh, um, snowshoes not uh, like shoes for snow um uh, winter shoes i guess and she likes them <laughs> that's that's about all i got where'd you go <laughs> yeah uh since we were talking um death hike and are now talking boots what do you think in there as of right now steve i don't know i know um i was using those honda galverstones in some of my training really like like the ankle height um you kind of need, you know, you got all that metal underneath your foot. So you kind of need something where you're not going to feel that all day long. Um, the only thing I noticed is they had some uh, metal eyelets and those specifically like the inside one uh, for the laces, but like between the binding of the snowshoe, that eyelet, and then a, that kind of bone that runs down the, the edge of your foot or the top of your foot um, after, a, you know, a short little one hour hike, pull those off. And there's like big, big red mark on both sides where that, islet was sitting so it's like eesh after two full days of that and 40 50 miles whatever the heck it's going to be um that's going to suck so mm -hmm. i kind of have to throw those out and find something else to wear um yeah yeah we were uh this wasn't in the plans but i basically have this giant you know list of emails and question potential questions for monday minutes and i was scrolling through when we said something about durability. It made me remember there's a question down in here from someone that says, how durable are the Salomon Quest 4Ds? I've heard the Gore-Tex isn't the best, which doesn't bother me too much, but I'm concerned with overall durability because uh, that's something we've talked about in the past, Steve. He then goes on to say, I plan to hunt out west about one week a year, but I wanted to train in the boots beforehand. Are they durable enough to put 50 miles on them before the hunt and then perform in the mountains for at least a couple of years? Yeah. Uh, short answer, yes. I think that's totally reasonable. You know, the, the Quest 4Ds, um, it's so funny because it depends who you talk to on those and what they consider to be durable. I mean, there there's guys that I know that will kill a pair in a hunting season, um, but they just they hunt a lot, they scout a lot, they hike a lot in general. So for some guys, like, you're not going to be able to even maybe get through a year in a pair. Um, but for other guys, it sounds like for this guy who's essentially going on, you know, one week, <clears throat> excuse me, one week long hunt a year and doing some training before that, like I think getting two to three years out of those is completely doable. 
Yeah, it's one guy's hunting season is the next guy's 10 years of hunting seasons. You know, I got yeah. I got a lot of friends that are, uh, you know, like I was pre-kids. You're, you're spending 60, 70 days a year out in the field from shed season through spring bear and scouting in the summer and fall, um, fall hunting. And the, you're, that's the, the next guy that goes out for, you know, two hunts a year that are each like four days. Right. That, that's a big difference. So um, for the guy that's 70 days in the field a year that, yeah, you're going to get one year out of them. Um, and I've, I've noticed some people just blow out boots. You know, I think some of it's the shape of your foot, how you lace them, how you wear them. Um, some guys just blow out boots faster than others. And I don't really have an explanation. I'd say body weight obviously plays a huge role in that. Mm-hmm. You're 160 pounds going to last you a lot longer than if you're 230 pounds. Um, just think about all that impact. Um, you know, every time you step, that's going to add up fast. And those, and I think guys with um, a wide foot tend to kind of blow out the seams up there around the the toe. You know, the the widest point of your toe box there. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I think. But even, I mean, I know guys that'll um, like Crispy has a. You know, they're a good brand. They have a good reputation. And I know guys that blow out a pair of Crispies in a season. Right, like that just they hunt that hard and, and spend that many days in the field that um, they, there are, I don't like thinking of boots as a, uh, I'm going to buy this nice pair and they're going to last me for five seasons, right? They are a consumable good, much like, um, you know, backpacking food, right? Like they're going to wear out. They're going to need replaced. Um, so for this guy, a suggestion would be um, break them in. And once you know, they're broken in, put them on the shelf and don't freaking touch them until you go hunting. Um, you know, I'd, I'd get, I'd get on a pair of Salmon quest. I'd do like 20 miles tops, um, of, you know, get 10 trail miles and 10, like good off trail miles, make sure that they're working for you and then stop using them. Don't, don't wear them out prematurely. Just yeah. go hike in a shoes or anything else. So, yeah. And I mean, it's, it kind of comes down to, you know, if you have different boots or different types of boots for different needs like you're going to be able to kind of rotate around a little bit or the same way like for me i mean there's been points where i think there's been times where i've had four pairs of quests in my garage or at least three you know that i know of which some are like three years old and you know just completely worthless for hunting but i can still take those out and hike six miles with a pack you know for a training hike right so even if you go through that first pair kind of quick and it's like you know these aren't waterproof anymore they're you know they're kind of delaminating here busting it seems there it's like okay those become your training boots um and then you essentially have a pair that you kind of designate towards you know specific hunts or long hikes um and then those are just going to last you much longer because you're putting all the training miles on that older pair so um yeah it's not a huge concern i mean you know like what you said i think with with boots you just have to keep in mind that you know they're an item that's going to wear and i've always felt that yes quests don't last is long compared to clearly something like a full leather boot or what have you. But I think you can, you know, kind of justify that in the price too, right? You're not paying 400 bucks for them. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I've had um, like the, the X ultra from Salmon. I've got pairs that are uh, one pair of lows that are yellow that were on the first hundred mile death hike. And like they're like my lawn mowing shoes now, but those things have seen some freaking miles and there's very, besides the tread getting kind of low, they are very good shape. Um, so it just depends, you know? Yeah. All right. See, this is a, 
an interesting, uh, I don't even want to say question. His question is kind of specific that uh, we'll get to, but I thought his overall, the topic was interesting. We got a question about hiking in the dark, which I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like we've ever talked about that. No. Um, so I'll read the question first and we kind of not only can answer his question, but elaborate on the, the bigger topic a little bit. So he wrote in and said, what is the longest time? What is the longest in time or distance that you have hiked in the dark? And then he said specifically, and this is where it gets specific. He said in the morning to set up for a hunt. Have you ever encountered animals in the dark during that time? And then he goes on to say, I feel like this part of the hunt is something that's usually glossed over in discussions, and maybe that's because it is totally boring or nothing interesting ever happens during that time, but it seems potentially ripe for something noteworthy. And then he said, while whitetail hunting this past fall, the route to my ground blind was blocked by a group of deer in the dark. It was crazy to see dozens of eyes reflecting back at me from my headlight right where I was trying to go. I was faced with the tough call of trying to navigate through or around them to get to my spot by shooting light or just wait for them to move uh, or just wait. Yeah. Or just wait for them to move and I can go through without spooking them, but get to my spot late. So that's where it's, you know, he's very specific talking about the scenario of whitetail hunting, which we can touch on later. Um, but I thought it was interesting, Steve, just to think about, talk about hiking in the dark. As he said, it's, he feels like it's something that's glossed over. I feel like it's something we haven't talked about and I'm not sure what there is to talk about there, but putting myself again, like back in, uh, you know, my position years ago or like a beginner's perspective, uh, it is a question that guys can have. I mean, even some guys who, you know, maybe they do are a whitetail hunter out, you know, in the Midwest or East and they've hiked to a tree stand or a ground blind in the dark, you know, 200 yards from the truck or whatever, like maybe the thought of them, hiking in the dark out west is something completely different or maybe there's something specific steve that like you do when you hike in the dark from a navigation or safety perspective so like just on the thought of hiking in the dark in general whether that's early morning late night like what comes to mind for you steve um <laughs> the, the random one that comes to mind is is um the qu the quality of light that your headlamp puts out and I know that seems random, but um, we did the headlamp review a few years back. And I remember being, it was fun to have like 10 different headlamps and use them all side by side and see the different like light pattern that they put out. Um, it's one thing that I now pay attention to. Like I've, I had a, um, I got two black diamond headlamps last year. Um, one was called like the spot light. I think it was a super light version of it. It's even though the lumens are quote unquote, like there, you know, it's like 200 lumens, 180 lumens, plenty bright. It, they suck to, to hike in, uh, in the dark. Like it, it puts out a good spotlight beam, but actually like lighting up what's underneath your feet and, and 10 feet in front of you. Um, just kind of all these dark patches, uh, and it's, it's not very nice to, to hike in at all. So, um, it's one thing that's, you would never think of until you got to see like two, headlamps like a, a good example and a bad example side by side and maybe we need to update our our review here this spring or summer and find uh, the latest and greatest on that but um that's one thing and then i always just um i get a like for whatever reason if i with the headlamp on i tend to get like a headache hiking in the dark um i think it's like the, the headlamp being tight enough that it's not bouncing around and then also like your eyes just trying to constantly focus. So half the time I end up taking the headlamp off and just holding it in my hand 
um, when I need to. Um, do you ever thought there. clip yeah. the, the speaking of random? Yeah, have you ever clipped the headlamp to your sternum strap on your pack? No, never have. Boom, pro tip. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> try it. <laughs> oh, I will. Then they're done uh, that. Yeah, oh, I like it. I've never thought of that. Uh, because that's not going to move that much, it's not going to bounce around. around so, thanks, man. <laughs> um, other than that, yeah, I mean, if I you know, hiking in the dark just to me depends on is it country I'm familiar with, then I have no problem with it. If I'm going into brand new country, gosh, I'd prefer to have a trailhead or something I'm following. You know, it's really easy to get turned around. I mean, at the bare minimum, I'd want, um, you know, a ridge line that I'm following or something like that. I would, I would try to, um, if you have an option of you want to get three miles into some place and you're out West and it's in the dark, um, you know, if you have the option to hike the ridge versus the bottom, get up on the ridge because in general, you know, that the ridge and especially kind of the south side of it, there's just going to be less brush, less, you know, less, less vegetation, less down trees up there. Uh, you're just going to have an easier path to hike through. Um, and so, yeah, and you just, you just move so much slower in the dark and, and um, it just takes time. So uh, I definitely do it. You know, the, the times I could think where, um, you know, I drove in, got to got to the trailhead at two or three in the morning right it was always like a trailhead that i was headed to and then you go hike for four or five hours on the trail and then by the time you get about is about getting light is when you're going to break off the trail and and go hunt um and that scenario it's no it's super easy to follow a trail in the dark and i don't mind it at all um mm-hmm. but yeah if i was you know my first trip out to colorado on an elk hunt i wouldn't like I probably wouldn't mess around with trying to hike in at three in the morning. I just on that first day, I'd wait for daylight and, um, you know, go from there. So mm-hmm. I've had plenty of, you know, killing elk in September at nine 30, right. At freaking into shooting light. And by the time you're done cutting it up, it's 11 midnight. And then, you know, you're hiking back to camp till four in the morning. Um, it, those suck, but you know, it's, it's totally doable. You just, um, I, I guess one thing that I've gotten pretty good about is, even if you know the country, it's just marking stuff like here's camp, right? Jump. Once you set up camp, mark where, mark where that is on Onyx or wherever your truck is. Um, Cause it's just easy to get turned around. I was just out chucker hunting the other day um, and I got fog rolled in on us. Uh, I took Jake and Pat out from the office um, and uh, we literally like, I thought we were hiking back towards the truck and we were going going at a 90 degree angle away from it, even though it was just downhill. Like we had just side hilled too far. And then, and I thought we were like, Oh, the car's still that way. So we kind of are side hilling at an angle and we were literally going uh, the wrong direction from the truck. Um, so we got down to the road and like, Holy crap. Like we got to hike the road for a little ways. Um, so yeah. it's so easy to get turned around that, you know, don't be, uh, don't always just assume that you're going to know where it's at, like just mark stuff. And, and then I think it's, very important to have maps downloaded, right? Mm-hmm. Know the country that you're in and, and be able to navigate that way. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a, one of the things that came to mind for me, just on hiking in the dark in general, there's a balance between, and this totally depends on, are you on trail? Are you off trail? Even if you are on trail, what type of, you know, footing and ground cover, like, is it super rocky? You know, is there deadfall or down stuff, what have you, but like, there's a balance for me, of keeping your head up and not just put because i think a lot of guys their tendency especially if they're maybe new to hiking in the dark in general and then the terrain's a little bit sketchy is they just put their head down too much like they're looking too much like right in front of their feet mm-hmm. and not where they're going 
um, which is, you know, can be bad not only from a navigational perspective at a high level, but just even the micro navigation of like, oh crap, there's, you know, this down tree, what up? And you don't see stuff until you're right up on it because you're looking just at your feet. Um, and so there's a balance that I've, I've hiked a ton in the dark simply because especially this time of year, um, I'll do a bunch of early morning training hikes uh, before the sunrise. And yeah, basically just, you know, I don't know if this is something like a skill, like a subtle skill you develop or just get something to get comfortable with, but I, I no longer have to look I hike a lot of rocky trails, like with some bigger rocks that you can, you know, twist an ankle, what have you on. I just no longer have to look at that. It's kind of like this balance of scanning your footing, maybe six to eight feet in advance and not like consciously picking your route, but almost subconsciously like managing those obstacles ahead of you without looking just, you know, keeping your head down. Um, so I know that that it's kind of hard to describe, but I've just noticed that the more you hike in the dark, the more comfortable you can get with footing and then be able to kind of like keep your eyes up and navigate and really look at where you're yeah. going and not just where you're stepping, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. The other, um, I t- totally forgot about this, Steve, but when we were talking about hiking in the dark, it made me think of that story when we were packing out Tyler's bull, um, in Idaho with the born and raised guy. And we had the, the deadfall, um, uh, protrusion <laughs> incident or <Poor> Wes. <laughs> dude i totally forgot about that uh, you tell that you tell the story <laughs> yeah so we, we had like six, with six as much or or little details you went to yeah uh <laughs> we had six or seven i don't know if he's ever told the story i'm sure he has but, i don't know if we um have. and it was a it was an old burn and so just match sticks coming out of that thing of, of just dead trees laying all over each other um and to top it off, the section we were going through was um, like a three quarters of a mile of like a marshy stuff. So your feet, you're kind of like marshy, wet feet with slick mud on the bottom of your feet. And you're stepping mm-hmm. on the logs and slipping all over the place. And anyways, we're about halfway out. And then West just starts, you know, you could hear someone fall and you could just start like, screaming. Like they were dying uh, screaming. Yeah, literally dying. So it was like, I just remember... Um, I think the two things I got off the pack, I took my pack off and my inReach was clipped to the pack uh, or is in my lid or something like that. So I immediately grabbed the, took the, threw the pack off, grabbed the inReach and then started running back towards, towards West screaming. And um, yeah, he just went to step over a log and it had a little three inch stub that uh, like he basically branch that snapped off and yes. like was jagged. Yeah. And he basically sat on it, fell on it with a, with an elk on it. Uh, He was, we were all worried. Like it punctured through the skin and, uh, yeah. Uh, cause the way he was screaming and I, you know, you were just thought like, Holy crap, that's uh this is a bad situation, you know? Um, and man, fortunately like nothing, (laughs) nothing really bad happened. He was just uh, pretty sore. So, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if I don't have too many more details other than we just, I just there was that like one minute of like holy yeah. shit pushing no. the entry button the helicopter's gonna have to come get us the next day because it's it's pitch black like yeah. we're still a mile and a half two miles I think from the truck um, like this this could be bad and um, end up not being bad but that was uh, scary scary for for about forty five seconds for sure yeah I mean you think of <laughs> I remember this log it was like three four feet high like you had to get up and over it yeah 
and th- the thought of coming down like full body weight plus I th- probably a 60 to 70 pound pack he had some elk meat and camera gear and like essentially just sitting on a three inch sharp <laughs> piece of wood oh dude like yeah. it could do some damage man <laughs> yeah i remember because i you and i were both uh in front of you know we had like seven guys we were both <clears throat> kind of in the front of at least a few of the guys and of wes yeah. and coming back and i legit remember you like in reach in hand like hand on button i was like this yeah. could be going down we didn't know what we, you know we didn't know if he was gonna be bleeding out or what was gonna happen right. it was pretty intense and then later was pretty stinking funny <laughs> he like i remember we were sitting i don't know if it was that night or the next day we were sitting back at camp and he, you know he couldn't sit down normal he had to like sit on his hip like on his yeah. side he couldn't sit on his bottom oh gosh oh uh, that's yeah could have been bad but now it's could a have been story bad. podcast yeah yeah um yeah my other um other things for hiking through the dark kind of get to get back to his specific question because i've run into this um kind of in similar similar scenarios as him you know whitetail hunting um and either approaching a ground blind tree stand what have you um number one is sometimes you just can't avoid spooking game it's um it's just part of it I would say, though, I do consider that when I'm placing a hunting location. So if I'm setting a ground blind or a tree stand, I'm thinking, obviously, about, you know, winds um, and when it's going to be good to hunt that stand or that that location based off of certain winds. If it's going to be more likely that I hunt that stand evening or morning, because that can make a huge difference, obviously. And then to go along with that is the approach, right? So um, if you think it's, you know, evening or morning and you have this understand of cycle of like food to bed or depends on kind of the time of year and what you're looking at there. But the long story short is the approach is part of the factor in where I set something. And so sometimes I know there's certain, like I'd love to hunt here, but I can't approach this in the morning um, because the deer are going to be here feeding but in the evening i could for example right because they're going to be coming to feed later um so just make that part of your strategy and part of your approach the route to it like sometimes there's been stands or ground blind locations i've set where if i'm going to the stand i have to hike out like way out and around and make a big loop but then at the end of that hunt i can come straight out right so even how you get to something can be a factor um And then if there's areas where you're just not certain, you know, there's no clear path, like you may or may not hit deer. And this guy's scenario, like specifically in the morning, he was talking about, I think he at one point mentioned in the email, like 20 minutes before dark. If there's locations I'm going to, to hunt that I might potentially bump deer, I just tend to go much earlier. Um, I'll get there an hour before dark. And then just freaking doze off till dark again or something. So instead of trying to, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get here 15 minutes before dark. But, you know, you might bump deer right before then. It's like, and I'll go in an hour beforehand. And maybe, you know, number one, if I bump something, it's not as close to shooting light. And maybe things will settle down. Or number two, maybe it's just much less likely if I go in a lot earlier uh, that I won't encounter anything. So just some random yeah. stuff there on kind of the, the whitetail specific side that I've done personally. Yeah. I, um, just trying to think of other scenarios or not like mule deer hunting. I would be 
wandering my way out. I would have a, like a morning glassing point destination in mind. Um, and you, you mentioned like, you know, having a strategy of how you get to that glassing point to minimize, um, bumping animals, like one specific area I've hunted in the past. Um, the the animals are always on the east side of the ridge. Um, but I want to get to this glassing point so I can kind of see 360. And so I'll kind of get off the top of the ridge and hike off the other side to get out there. Um, so in general, yeah, hiking in the dark, you're taking that risk of, of bumping animals in the elk woods. Um, I don't think I'd, I, I would just, at this point, I'd probably just wait till light and then hunt. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause we're just kind of hunting. I don't have like a specific spot. I necessarily, it's not like that predetermined glassing point for a mule deer that I want to be in um, for the elk woods. It's, it's um, I'd probably wait till shooting light before I really start like moving through the woods. Cause it's knowing I could just bump into an elk at any given point, you know? There may be like spots I know I've hunted where it's like, okay, it's, I've been here in this area enough. I know it's very low probability that the first two miles of this country, we're just not going to run into elk. So yeah, I'll go hike that in the dark. And then basically once I get to that edge of where it's like, okay, it's time to start hunting. I'd probably just, you know, sit and wait, be quiet, listen for bugles. And um, I don't see a whole lot of point just tromping around in the dark, pushing animals unnecessarily. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Um, Same way for me with elk. Yeah. Last thing I was thinking about is, um, you were talking about footing and stuff like that. Trekking poles, um, throw, you know, strap your gun or your bow to your pack and have your trekking poles in your hand. And that'll help you, um, just be a lot more stable hiking in the dark. Yep. Good point. Cool. We have more questions, but, uh, yeah, we got, we got some good progress there. We'll save more for next time. Listeners, if you have a question, just shoot us that email to podcast at xomountgear.com and we'll get that on the list to answer on a future show. Um, oh, one more random note. I did mention uh, last week we got on a kind of a side tangent talking about 6.5 Creedmoor, and I said something about putting out an article. I did make that happen, so that article uh, is up over on the EXO blog, so you can go to exomountaingear.com and check that out. Uh, some of you guys may have seen it if you get our emails um, that was sent out there, so just a heads up if you're interested not only in you know EXO product stuff, but other type of content in terms of videos and articles and things outside of this podcast. We do uh, share those through email as well. So you can just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash newsletter and make sure that you get those in the future. Uh, But again, thanks guys for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday with a full episode. So if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button and you'll receive that episode automatically. We'll talk to you soon.